Please welcome. Please welcome. Welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast, a podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable, learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now here's your host, Ed Mysogland. So as we're coming to, you know, the beginning of the year, you know, people are taking the, the, the time to kind of reflect on, you know, what the, what they've done and what they're going to do. And so I, this is really timely because we're talking about trust today. And, you know, and again, welcome to the Defenders of Business Value and uh, another episode. And this one, this one's really good. I, I really enjoyed this that I talked to Bruce Mack of uh, uh, Platinum Trust Group and it, you know, it's a really, he really helped me understand, you know, a, a dense topic about trust and, and the things that, that go into it, whether it's personal trust or business trust and how, how business owners not only can protect the assets that they've, that they, that they have and need to um, preserve, but also how to exit well and minimize the, the capital gains tax on the way out. So, you know, Bruce, you know, he's a, he's a, a licensed financial advisor and a trust expert. You know, he, he works with lots and lots of business owners to help mitigate, um, you know, their tax and provide, you know, total protection of the assets that they've accumulated over the course of their professional life. I, um, you know, I, like I, I indicated, I am not versed in taxes. Uh, I, I know enough to make me dangerous, but I do know that, you know, it seems as though the trust avenue is such a, uh, an easy layup that's, that there's not enough awareness about how you might be able to use it in order to, to, uh, A, protect your assets and B, you know, when you are exiting, how to um, maximize that the, the proceeds, and that's ultimately what we want to to share here on this podcast. So, I'm certain you're going to enjoy this conversation I had with Bruce Mack of the Platinum Trust Group. Well, welcome to the show, Bruce. Well, thank you very much for having me here today, Ed. Well, you know what? I am so glad that we were able to connect because this is. This is kind of the advanced planning that so many business owners are just, you know, I lose them or, or they, they hear about it and they like the idea of minimizing taxes, but they just don't understand, you know, what this is all about. So, so I'm really excited about that. So if, if you would talk a little bit about, about your practice and, you know, just, just how you got into this. Well, First of all, great question. Uh, how did I get into this and, and uh, uh, some feedback about the practice? I'm a licensed uh, financial advisor. I've been in the trust business for decades. I got into the trust business uh, as a, uh, if you will, as a protective mechanism because of what happened to me personally. Uh, I've been a very active real estate investor. And as an active real estate investor, I bought, rehabbed, and flipped over 160 properties in one three-year period of time. Been involved in over $92 million worth of real estate transactions. But I can't 
say that all of them went smooth as silk. Uh, yeah. One in particular was the predominating reason that I said never again. Uh, and that predominating, uh, I'll, I'll digress and give you the story. I had a guy, great guy, uh, who was a uh, casino executive who had lost everything. Uh, he, an older gentleman, and for whatever reason, uh, he was put out to pasture. It was a horrible, horrible situation. He didn't even have enough money to pay his taxes. And because he didn't have enough money to pay his taxes, he ended up with a $150,000 tax lien. And because he ended up with a $150,000 tax lien, he was also in foreclosure with this house and there was no equity to be able to be gotten out of the house. So he was going to let it go to the bank. And of course, at that particular point, that's when I specialized in helping people out who are in pre-foreclosure. I was able to find him, talk to him, and tell him about a very little known tax strategy that says that if you filed your taxes, however, weren't able to pay your taxes, and the assessments had been done, which they are when they're filed, and it was over 280 some odd days, that you could discharge those uh, tax obligations in a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. So I said, look, Bill, you got $150,000 equity in your house if we're able to get rid of the IRS tax lien. What do you say? I'm certainly willing to uh, take on the obligation. I'll give, give you the money to do a bankruptcy if that's what you want to do. And should you merge from the bankruptcy, I'm 100% confident that the tax lien will be wiped off of you because your tax liability will go away. If we can do that, we should be able to get it off the house. He said, you do that? And I said, sure, why not? Well, we did that. And that worked. And that was great. And we were eventually able to get the lien off the house. We were able to then sell the house. And he walked away with $75,000. And our firm did too. So now Bill's a door knocker. And he's advocating to anybody that he encounters that's in distress. You got to work with Bruce Mack because he actually knows what he's talking about. So he encounters this Yahoo. And this is where things kind of get ugly. <laughs> the guy's. The guy's a couple of weeks away from foreclosure, and the guy says to Bill, "Yeah, I'd like to speak with Bruce, but uh, Mr. Mac, but I don't have any uh, a transportation. My car's in the shop." So Bill offers him a ride down to the office. He comes down to the office. We sit down. We have a couple of cups of coffee. Everything's great. He says, "I want to do. You know, I love your program. Doing the equity split. You're going to fix up the house. You're going to help me relocate. You're going to do all these things. And how can I lose?" And exactly, because that was the proposition. How could you lose? Well, everything was done. Paperwork was signed. And a week later, I got hit with a massive lawsuit. This is the type of lawsuit that could happen to any of us. Any of the people that are listening to this broadcast where somebody sees a deep pocket because you're a business owner and maybe you're thinking about doing an exit very soon. But this could absolutely throw a monkey wrench right into your motor and stop things dead in their tracks until you're able to resolve it, if you're able to resolve it. Anyhow, back to my story. So we go to our lawyer and we say, what can be done? 
And what is he suing us for? Well, I come to find out that he sued me for, are you ready for this? Kidnapping. That's, of course, when Bill took him down to the office. Uh He sued us Mm -hmm. for uh, being forced into duress to sign the contract. And he also sued for, believe it or not, he said he was highly intoxicated at the time. Okay, great. Well, what ended up happening was my lawyer gave me two choices. Bruce, you can either reinstate his loan or you could or and pay all the expenses for gosh knows how long, or you could let the house go to foreclosure. But I have to warn you, if you do, likely you're going to end up in this situation where he's going to amend the complaint and come after you for even more. And I went, hmm. are you kidding? He also, by the way, tried to sue us and alleged in the complaint alter ego in that we were creating a fraud, a fraud in the way that we had in the fact that we had created an LLC. Now, many of you that are on this call have an LLC, a C or an S, and that alter ego is an easy way to pierce the corporate veil. I'll get back to that in a moment. The bottom line was he sued me for 175,000 or for, for undisclosed amount, but it ended up costing me by the time I was able to negotiate a settlement with him, $175,000. That is what precipitated me looking for a better way to go than utilizing an LLC as a holding uh, device or as an entity to hold my uh, business in, which I came to find out later works like Swiss cheese. So that drove me towards finding and being directed towards utilizing trusts to hold my business as an entity that can stop a potential suitor in their tracks from being able to execute a lien, levy, or judgment. So now we had an asset protection mechanism, which I tell everybody I encounter, you really need to have that in place as a way to be doing your business so that in the event that there is a Yahoo out there, they're not going to be able to get the gold from you. Years later, I was able to also surface and work with some great people uh, that are tax professionals and, and estate planning professionals. We put them all together to come up with the trust that we have today, which also includes a huge component, which is the tax mitigation component, where active income can be turned into passive income and capital gains income on an exit or any other capital gains income that uh, a client may have from stocks that he may be selling from other asset classes that he may have, all uh, 100% of capital gains income is eliminated with our clients. So these are where this is where the practice has grown to and evolved to. But I wanted to really back up and tell you how I started and what drove me to getting into this crazy business in the first place. So let's start with the trust. So sure. explain to me how how it's formed, you know, it's mechanics and and you know, cuz I'm certain a lot of people are like, yeah, this is great. I'm going I get I can minimize all my taxes. I have I have protection of the trust. What is it and how do I do it? Without getting into a bunch of 
minutia and detail, we have multiple different types of trusts. Uh, first of all, we have a, a personal slash family trust. We also have a business trust. Most of the people that are on the call today being business people would invariably need both. Uh, the trust can be formed up and running, usually within a four to six week period of time. And once it's up and running, you do have the ironclad asset protection, and you also have the tax mitigation uh, benefits. One of the things that we do is we have 17 advisors that are on our team, and they get, uh, if you will, assigned to individuals to be working with to help them do what's called the moving of their convey and conveying of assets from them personally or from the, their current entities that they control and or own into the trust environment, utilizing uh, bills of sale. Uh, and this goes for their businesses, and this goes for other asset classes that they may own. Things like they may own a car or multiple cars, jet skis, mobile homes, uh, R, uh, uh, RVs. They may also own uh, classes of uh, assets such as gold or silver uh, assets, uh, stocks. Uh, they may own notes that they, that they carry. All, if you will, appraisable assets that one owns are moved into the trust for both safekeeping and when they're selling the, the, the ability to eliminate capital gains on sale. So when I say selling, and I want to be clear on this, well, let's say you have a stock portfolio. Let's say you have $100,000 in your stock portfolio and it's owned by you personally. We're going to convey and sell that asset to the trust, utilizing that conveyance form and utilizing the bill of sale and stepping, stepping uh, the client through it. And that is not going to trigger a capital gain because we are strictly selling and conveying the ownership. Mm -hmm. Well, this, this is a common question that comes up. Well, moving assets, selling assets to the trust that creates a taxable, uh, a, a taxable event. No, it doesn't. You're strictly moving the ownership. And by so doing, uh, that gives you then the ability to, uh, as soon as that asset class is sold, should you want to sell a part or all of it or whatever, then the trust would be doing the selling through your direction and then 100% of the capital uh, gains that would normally be associated with it become eliminated because of the, the operation of the trust and how it's structured. So you, you mentioned that there's a personal trust and a business trust. I'm assuming it's just, it, it's just as it relates to the assets that are included in the trust? Yes. And okay. one question that also comes up is so if I have a different business, uh, let's just say I own a manufacturing company, but I also own a car wash. Uh, does that mean, does that mean, Bruce, that I have two different business trusts? No, not at all. One business trust, because of its complete asset protection capabilities and the way we have designed our business trust, we have individual compartments that each business or business venture goes into. Uh, and we've done this so that 
there is no limit to the amount of businesses that can be in these individual compartments. And this also provides a higher level of privacy. So uh, individuals who are real estate investors, they may have five, they may have 10, they may have 100 plus houses, and they would each go into a separate uh, what's called compartment. We call them divisions. Uh, and that can all fall under one trust and or uh, people who are doing an exit. They may have a business that they're doing an exit on, but they may have other businesses. Each one, again, would go into its own division. Each one of them has its uh, total uh, asset protection as well as privacy that they would never have if they maintain that asset in an LLC, a C or an S. And, and so, I'd like to speak about that privacy issue for a minute because it's really important. May I? Sure, please. LLCs, C's and S's we are like Swiss cheese. Uh, they're very porous. Uh, a Wake Forest Law Review study shows that 46%, 46%, almost one in two, uh, 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 if you will, times, out of 100, almost 50% of the time, when sued, the asset is able to be pierced, meaning the entity is able to be pierced. Well, you know, once that the asset's been pierced or the entity's been pierced, then the entire contents can be wiped out. So let's just say you have a, a million-dollar lawsuit award against you. Uh, and let's just say that you've got uh, an asset class in an LLC and the value of it's $250,000 when litigated. Uh, not only can they take that, but in most every state, there's another problem, which is called reverse veil piercing. People don't know about this. They think mm -hmm. if I've got all my assets in one, in one entity, I'm safe. Worst thing that's going to happen, they're going to get the one entity. Or, or, and, and that's going to be that. Not so. Uh, we've seen consistently when there's not enough, if you will, equity to do a satisfaction of judgment in one entity, utilizing reverse veil piercing, one can go to the next entity and or the next entity and or the next entity to be able to get satisfaction of judgment. This is why I really don't like LLCs. This is one of the allegations that was made against me when I lost $175,000 because I had a closely held entity. A closely held entity means any entity that has less than 35 people. Well, most entities do, unless they're widely held C-Corps, what have you. If they're LLCs or they're... Uh, closely held uh, 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 S's or C's with S elections, they're generally two, three, four people, and they always therefore or fall into that closely held entity status, which puts them right in the gun sights of somebody making an allegation of alter ego, which means that you have created a facade in order to protect the shareholder. That's a third year law student allegation. And that's why 46% of the time or almost a one in two shot, uh, you're going to get uh, the, the entity pierced and therefore 
lose everything. Wow. When, when these entities, when these trusts are formed mm -hmm. and, and I put in, I put in my entities. So tell me, so the entities still file normal tax returns and such, or does the trust file a file, a, a tax return? How, what does that look like from a tax standpoint? And a reporting standpoint, or let's just say, you know, a regulatory standpoint. What do I got to do in order? I put I put all my stuff in here. I've, I have put all my assets into the, into both trusts. Now what do I now what do I do? Well, first of all, let me put you at ease and say that one of the things that clients get is they get their first year tax returns done by our accounting team where we have CPAs, we have enrolled agents with the IRS, uh, we have bookkeeping, uh, bookkeepers, we have accountants, we have the full complement, and that's a part of what we do. On the other hand, invariably, if it's somebody who has a business, they're gonna need a business trust, and there will be a business return done, uh, okay. then there will also be a, a 1040 that needs to be completed, and a 1041. 1041 is a trust return, okay. and those will all be filed uh, by one of our team members who take care who takes care of that for the client on their behalf. So, with a trust, the trust comes with a trustee, right? Who's the trustee? That's up to the individual, generally. And this is this is a discussion that can get deeper, but oftentimes it's it's them, or uh, they may opt. And this is one of the things that we can that we can talk about about utilizing and introducing a, a fiduciary, which they create a contractual relationship with, which oftentimes might be their lawyer or a lawyer that we can uh, that we mm -hmm. can serve up. When they mm -hmm. it's done that way, they have to act in the client's best interest, and this is without a doubt a win-win scenario. And also, really? people seem to think this is going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, one of the one of the uh, lawyers that we work with, it's like three hundred bucks a year. So it's very yeah. that's a very inexpensive additional component. So why would I want an attorney as opposed to being my own trustee of my own assets? What what would be the the advantages or disadvantages? Well, one of the uh, advantages is for legacy planning. Uh, okay. And one of the other advantages are because they have fiduciary responsibility to act in your best interest, especially on, and follow your direction, because we will also have them uh, create a contractual relationship with them that's a separate yeah. and aside. Therefore, they, they, they have to by law. Let's put it that way. I, I get it. But at the same time, if there's malfeasance for whatever reason, and everyone, every asset I have is stuck in that trust, and that man or woman or that attorney, while contractually obligated, has some sort of meltdown and disposes of all of my assets or or pick whatever happens, what's my recourse? I'm 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 now out of business, literally and figuratively. The way it's structured. We have things done by committee that can't happen, and that's one of the safeguards that oh. we put into our private okay. trust. Great question. Okay, so there, there's there's a bunch of speed bumps that'll prevent the 
the person. I would, I get it. I would go further and say big, big, tall guardrails. <laughs> Got it. That works too. Um, so on the inbound assets, do they have to be appraised by a third party going into the trust or is it hypothetical? You know, how, how, how are, how are, how is the value calculated inbound? Well, let's take a, a car. That's an easy okay. asset, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we'd use Blue Book. And what yep. we're going to use also uh, for appraisals, it, it, when we do and create what we call those conveyances to create what's, what uh, uh, is known as a promissory note. Uh, which is an IOU from the trust to you in con consideration of sale of your assets. What we use is book value if it's personal property, and we use basis if it's real property. So basis is very simple. Uh, what did you pay for it when you, when you bought it, whenever? Mm -hmm. What did you put into it since then to maybe enhance it? That's basis. Uh, so it's a very, it's a, not a brain twisting uh, operate, sure. operation to be able to derive what the uh, value is. And then once that's established and once that note has been created, then the individual has the ability to at any time and for any reason utilize uh, the IOU funds for anything that they wish whatsoever uh, without any tax ramifications, which is one of the neat things with the trust. Let's just say you own uh, a manufacturing company, but let's just say that your wife still works a W-2 job and she brings in $120,000, $150,000 in her uh, day job as a mm -hmm. W-2 employee. Well, one of the things that we would suggest is that we would take the majority of that uh, money and we would also, uh, as she gets paid every couple of weeks, and just move it over from her personal a checking account into the trust. Because mm -hmm. once that additional money is in the trust, if there was a, a suit and she was named and uh, the uh, husband was named uh, as co-defendants uh, in a potential declaration of assets that would have, have to happen later, the really good news is that they would not disclose the amount that's in the trust because that money is in the trust and you can move that money back and forth where you're making allocations back to your personal checking account uh, at, at, on a discretionary basis for going out and, and uh, procuring incidentals. One of the other things is we have the ability to take the active business income and utilizing our trust, create to be passive income, 100%, and that's from the business, 100% of passive income pursuant to the trust is not taxable until the distribution of the trust, which then begs the question, mm -hmm. when's, when does the trust distribute, right? The trust distributes in accordance with the law or rules of perpetuity. The rules of perpetuity so state the tr that the trust will automatically distribute 21 years to the day after the last sole surviving heir to the last sole surviving beneficiary deceased. So the trust has many different components to the trust, which is why it took 
quite some time to put it together. Sure. One of those components is the dynasty provision, meaning that it is a true multi-generational wealth transference school. And the idea in mind that the trust will likely not distribute for hundreds of years. And when it does, it becomes academic because upon distribution, any taxes that might be owed if there are any that have accrued and downstream to that particular point, there's not any one individual that is alive or around, I should say, uh, to be collected uh, yeah. from that tax liability. Interesting. So mm-hmm. two, two questions. One, sure. so when I fill out my personal financial statement, I have a trust. What, what do I put on? Do I put, is, am I obligated to disclose the trust? You are not obligated to dis- to dis- to disclose the trust. Okay. And number two, it, so it's it's interesting. Yes, I, that- be, I, I want to stop one second if I might. I mm-hmm. don't mean to. Sure. To no, go ahead. This can also be very helpful for people who have teenage kids on the one hand, or might be older folks and are looking to preserve their uh, their their if you will, their wealth, if they have to uh, do a Medicaid disclosure. Yeah, that was my next question. Okay. That's funny you said I, Okay, so but let me go to the first one because that's an unusual uh-huh. one. So let's just say you've got teenage kids. There are provisions for uh, the beneficiaries for uh, education, medical, maintenance, and support. Let's drill on the educational uh, piece for one moment. One of the things that we really love is the ability to, when somebody uh, is put upon them the FAFSA forms, which you may may be aware yeah. of, the financial aid forms when the kids are in real aware sixteen. <laughs> um, if the assets are in the trust, the assets from the the trust is not brought into the equation and right. therefore somebody can be in line for the highest amount of subvention from the financial uh from financially from the institution that they want their kids to go to i'll give really? you an example well so you're telling me that i can have 10 million dollars in a trust yeah. fill out my fasfa form and they're going to give me they're going to give me unbelievable financial aid because I don't have to disclose disclose within the trust? I'm, wow. I'm going to say that we have seen on a number of occasions that a very same thing or that scenario happen over and over and over again. I think the Notre Dame um, uh, tuition right now is $74,000. Uh, mm-hmm. And we have seen, and I can think of a case where the individual uh, ended up uh, having but a twelve, thirteen thousand uh, dollar amount to pay for the tuition. And this is this is the type of super savings. And sure. the next question is: is well, if the trust is helpful there, can the trust also pay for other educational uh, needs? Yes, uh, for preschool, for elementary school, for private mm-hmm. high school, certainly for college, certainly for uh, graduate school and postgraduate studies as well. So this is something that can save 
uh, a business owner who has a, a couple of kids, quite literally, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending upon where the kids are going and what the uh, wow. uh, what the awards might end up being. All right. And on the, so I'm sorry. Good. No, no I was going to say on the other end. Um, there's a thing that many people may not be aware of called Medicaid uh, spin down. Uh, right. If you need to apply for Medicaid, they will, within the first six months, they will give you a financial statement. And it does vary from state to state, but mo many states, you can only have a couple thousand dollars a month or less in certain uh, cases coming in and anything over that they're going to take. They will also end up taking your primary residence after the last uh, to die expires and any other assets to be able to settle the bill with uh, Medicaid. And that can be ugly and that could absolutely yeah. wreck a legacy for the children, which is, of course, why you work so hard in the first place. Right. All right. I am. Um, so I'm, I'm now exiting the business. Yep. All right. So my. So two questions. One, sure. what did what did it cost me to spin up this 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 trust and put my business in there? Ballpark between you know, give me you know, get me within twenty five grand. <laughs> I always like to deflect that answer by saying we have so many different combinations. Uh, do you want it done for you? Do you want do you want to, do you want it done with you? Um, do you do you also uh, uh, do, do you also want to engage with a private family foundation, this, that, so on? Sure. There's a bunch of add-ons, but I mean, generally speaking, somebody, somebody's going to say, yeah, that's great. Ed. Ballpark. What's this thing going to cost me to, uh, just the basic. I just, I, I just want a Honda. I want a Honda trust. What is, what does that look like? Let me put it this way. Our, our trusts could easily run in the, $50,000 range or okay. more, potentially less, depending upon what the, what, what okay. the need is. Uh, but let's take a look at the reward. Right. Right. You have That's an where I'm going. And then you have a, and then you have a reward. First of all, if somebody has under $500,000 worth of assets, uh, we're not the right solution. We really aren't because you don't yeah. have enough assets to protect in the first place. If somebody has a capital gain event that, that they're looking at that's on the horizon, either in the near future or in the foreseeable future in the next two, three, four, five years uh, or less, and that taxable event is going to be a sizable capital uh, uh, gain, then it's pretty simple. If you're selling your uh, business and you're selling it for a half a million dollars, uh, you already know that you're looking at a hundred thousand dollar tax bill, which we can eliminate. So the ends absolutely justify the means, and sure. there's the opportunity to also have the tax mitigation component in place for the monies and and income that you're going to be receiving to help mitigate on that tax liability bill between now and whenever the exit is. Mm -hmm. uh, along with the fact that, as I said. The worst thing that could ever happen to somebody is that they could have a lawsuit that comes against them and or their business, which could totally take either one or both out. And this yeah. is the other uh, component 
that we bring to the table so people can quite literally sleep better at night. So why don't more people do this? Good question. I'm sure you would agree that what 95% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They're W-2 employees. We don't have a solution for W-2 employees. Well, mm-hmm. we do, but it's 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 Another, it's another solution with a private family <laughs> foundation where we can sure, sure. we can divert some of the income by lowering it and doing uh, uh, do, doing foundation work. But most people, if they are not entrepreneurs and business owners, this is very likely not the right solution for them. So therefore, mm-hmm. this leaves a very small amount of people that it's right for. When I do slide presentations, I show the Rockefellers, the Kennedys, the uh, uh, um, Carnegies. I also sh- show uh, the, a slide that I created when I was watching TV several months ago, and it was on Fox News. And I was channel surfing. It said, Camilla Harris has a tax advantage trust. Now, I don't think Camilla Harris is would be the first one to be advertising that on TV. I believe one of the reasons Romney lost the election, I'm not trying to be political, I'm just giving you my my feelings, was because he he was put up against the wall and disclosed that he had a tax that he paid 15% in taxes. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sure. people don't no. want to advertise that they have a trust. Yeah. People don't like to talk about yeah. politics. They don't like to talk about money. I totally don't disagree with them. That's their choice because oftentimes this, this creates, if, if you will, uh, unrest behind the scenes because people become jealous if they know how much money somebody's making, so on and so forth. They want to keep these things private. And, sure. and this is exactly my feeling as to why more people do not know that these types of opportunities exist and that we do have yeah. a solution. Yeah. Good answer. All right. So the last question, I, I, so we're, we're probably, I don't know, 120 episodes in. So I always ask this, uh, it's the last question for all of my guests that if you had one piece of advice that you would give to business owners that would either increase the value or increase the saleability, what would it be? Well, I would say the one piece of advice would be to get a trust. Not only is it going to increase your bottom line when you sell, but if you can educate and pass along the fact that you have the trust for them to to get a trust, when they acquire the business, they themselves will also have a more fruitful business, a better asset protected business, and they will end up having more spendable, if you will, income in their back pocket on an ongoing basis. Interesting. Well, Bruce, I'll tell you what, I, I, I appreciate all, all, all your wisdom. I, I did not know um, that. I didn't know about trust. I, I mean, I knew a little bit to make me dangerous, but I did, I had no idea all the ins and outs. So I, I appreciate you taking the time today to, to educate us all. Well, Ed, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on your show. And I'll tell you, most people, when they hear the word trust, they hear, they think about a living trust or a living mm-hmm. will. 
And a lot sure. of people have them and they have them for good reason because they do meet a circumstance uh, uh, and fulfill that need. The need is for a probate avoidance and for naming mm -hmm. who the beneficiaries are. Unfortunately, those types of trusts do not provide and cannot provide just by their construct any asset protection and or uh, tax mitigation. Now, we can take those trusts and meld them into our trust, but I, I just want people to understand when they, when they hear the word, I've got a trust, well, we need to take a look at what type of trust that is and mm -hmm. how we can weave your existing trust into the fabric of our trust so that you have the best of all worlds. Got it. So where, where can we find you? Uh, easily gettable. Let me give you a, a link uh, right to my personal calendar for one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, if somebody would like to engage, we're delighted to do that and waive our normal $250 consult fee for anybody who mentions your name. So okay. please, guys, mention Ed. And we're going to save you. We're going to save you that uh, consult fee. Uh, please go to Bruce dot platinum trust group dot com. Let me repeat that. That's Bruce dot platinum trust group dot com. That will take you to my direct calendar where you can book an appointment at a convenient time for you. I'll give you a call. We'll sit down. We'll lay out everything on the table and see if it makes sense for you. It may, it may not, but at least you'll get the answers. Right on. Well, Bruce, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to, to visit, especially, you know, we're, we're, we're recording here in, um, middle of November and this will probably be live, you know, end of December, 1st of January, which to me, I think is a really good time for people to start exploring some tax mitigation strategies. So thanks so much for spending this last hour with me. Thank you so much for having me on your show and being able to uh, get the word out to your folks. And again, uh, thanks. This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes.